morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be reading from the ESV version or whatever version you got works. <clears throat> uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I believe that's it. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy getting to gather as your people, your kids. Lord, would you be our teacher today? Holy Spirit, would you lead the way? Would you open our hearts and help us to receive from you today? Father, we don't merely want to learn more about you we want to experience more of you. Would you transform our lives? Would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for that, Nathan. Where'd he go? There you are. So much enthusiasm. I love it. John chapter 2. Um, three or four weeks in, the theme of the book is uh, walking with Jesus. Because as we sang this morning, we need God to help us slow down. Um, and not that there's anything especially unique about this season that we're in. Um, it's unique in some ways, but the world's always had a tendency to move a bit quicker than, than humans are able to sustain, or perhaps humans are trying to move faster than the world can sustain. Jesus wants to teach us how to live our lives um, in a way that's in sync with his unforced rhythms of grace. John's going to help us do that, at least that's the hope. That as we work our way through this um, beautiful book, it's poetic in a lot of ways, deeply spiritual, that the Lord would help us just to slow down. It should feel um, 
slightly unnerving, I think, um, because when, when we're living the rest of our lives at a certain pace, paying the bills, getting stuff done, important things, you know, adulting, as we say, do people still say that? Um, it should feel like there's, there's something that's um, almost out of alignment. Um, the world would have us live one way at a particular rate, and Jesus would have us slow down and take deep breaths. Loving people takes time. Uh, learning how to be loved well takes slowing down. So that's, that's the aim, that's the vision for this series. Today, um, chapter two, the ministry begins. The action kicks off. Last week, Jesus called a handful of disciples. There will be more. Um, but last week, we met Andrew, Simon Peter, his brother, Philip, and Nathaniel. There was another disciple. You might recall there was two disciples who had been with John the Baptist. And when they heard John say, behold the Lamb of God, it says that both of them left and began to follow Jesus. One of them, we're told, was Andrew. We're not told the name of the other one. I think it was John himself. That's just my theory. But now that Jesus has called these people, these men, to follow him, uh, the ministry is kicking off. And uh, it begins at a wedding party of all the places. I love that about John. The ministry, Jesus' public ministry, his first miracle, kicks off at a party, a wedding party. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three gospel writers, they begin Jesus' public ministry in a different place. Not to say that they're contradictory by any means, but certain details are highlighted by the different gospel authors. Matthew begins the public ministry of Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount. Says something about Matthew. He highlights the teaching ministry of Jesus. Mark and Luke, you know where they begin? Jesus casting a demon out of a man at the synagogue. Kind of exciting. Could you imagine one of these Sundays? I mean, if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen in our city. But John, he records the starting point of Jesus' ministry at a party. I love that. I love that. that. I could just preach a whole series on that alone. Something about the way Jesus rolls, the way he does ministry, the way he prioritizes time with people, kicks off at a party, a wedding party, which says something in of itself. Um, only, what, two verses in to this party, we're immediately told that the wine has run out. Not a great party. Uh, maybe it was just too great. Maybe that's the deal. Um, in that ancient context in particular, if you know anything about the, you know, the first century Palestinian, whatever you want to call it, ancient Near Eastern Judaism in the first century, uh, it was a shame-honor culture. 
So to run out of wine at your own wedding party, it's the worst thing that could possibly happen. The shame would just be unthinkable. And this is the scenario. Jesus and his disciples rock up at the party with his mom. I don't quite know what to make of that. Um, And the wine runs out. If you ever take a course on, well, preaching, or even just um, interpreting scripture in general, you, I've, I've taken about a dozen of these courses. You'll always be told the same thing. Beware the temptation to allegorize. So you take a story like we've just read, and it's just like packed full of symbolism. You're like, you know, it's a wedding party, but it, what it really was like was like a metaphor for life. And, and, and Jesus' mom was really like a symbol for, I, I don't know what, and, and then you, you begin to kind of read all these things into the symbols, and you're not supposed to do that. Because at that point, you're just sort of like making the story say what you kind of want it to say, or at least that's the danger. Um, I would argue that John is almost inviting us to allegorize at some level because the story is just packed full of symbolism. I mean, it's the story. Jesus shows up at a wedding. They run out of wine and Jesus does a miracle. He turns water into wine. I mean, that's amazing. We don't want to like skip over that simple fact. It's the first miracle that Jesus performs, a sign as John puts it. The first of seven, as he kicks off his public ministry. So we simply do not want to, like, miss that fact. But the way John tells the story, the details that he includes, the pattern, the certain words that he emphasizes, it's like he's begging us to to read into the story. What's the story within the story? And I think there's really something there, and I think we would do well to go a little bit deeper. So they run out of wine. I say, what a metaphor for life itself. Have you ever been to a party that's run out of wine? Have you ever gone to the thing that was supposed to be like the best day of your life? Like that you finally arrived, you're at the pinnacle of what you thought would be success, happiness, joy, fulfillment, only to realize, man, this party is dead. Like this is not what I thought it was going to be. And then you wonder, who, who who was in charge of the wine? Should we leave? Should we bounce? What do you do when you find yourself at that party? What do you do when you think that your career is supposed to be going one way and it takes a hard left and goes another? What do you do when your relationship just feels stale? What about your relationship with the Lord? Can I speak plainly? I've had seasons in my life where I feel like, man, I, I am a Christian. I'm not about to like, disavow 
my belief in God, or even Christ for that matter, but man, I feel like I'm going through the motions. It feels stale. It's hard to admit to myself, because that would be as if to say, like, ah, I must be doing something wrong. Uh, maybe I've sinned too much, or maybe, I don't know, maybe God isn't real, but the thought just terrifies me. But there's something's obviously off in my heart. I don't feel that passion. I can remember feeling that passion at one point in time, but it's, it's waned. My love has grown cold, to use the New Testament language. Anyone? Anyone? Some of you right now, you're probably like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Don't you dare make me raise my hand. But I'm here. I'm here because I'm told that sometimes if I just keep putting one foot in front of the other, then, then perhaps Jesus will meet me there. Maybe. Maybe. I think there's certainly something to be said for just being consistent and faithful, even if you don't feel all the feels. Sorry, just a sign falling over. Sign of the times, all right. So, we're at a party and the wine has run out. That party could be a million different things to do with life. The question is, what do you do? What does Jesus do? What does Jesus' mom do? She goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And what does Jesus say? What does this have to do with me? Woman, my hour has not yet come. What do you think about that? Now, I've read all the commentaries, probably not all the commentaries, but I've read way too many commentaries. Let me put it that way. What do you make of this, woman? It is not yet my time. This is Jesus talking to his mom. And now, I've, I know that you're, you're probably thinking, yeah, but maybe, maybe it's a translation thing. Maybe it's actually, he said woman, but maybe, he, maybe it's meant to be ma'am. Maybe it's meant to be, you know, mama. Maybe it's less. No, it's none of those things. Read the commentaries yourself. Jesus is actually being quite curt with his mom. Woman, a yune is the Greek word. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament, but it's, it's usually, it's like almost an informal, slightly rude sort of word, particularly in reference to your mom. And what are we to make of it? My hour has yet not come. And what does that mean? Jesus makes that statement uh, two other times. Um, before we get to chapter 12 in the Gospel of John. My hour has not yet come. After chapter 12, multiple times, five, six, seven times, he says, my hour has now come. And he's making a beeline for Jerusalem, ultimately the cross. The hour has come, Father, glorify your name. The hour has come. But he says here, two more times, my hour has not yet come. And what does Jesus' mom say in response? Do whatever he tells you. Guys, okay, have you ever felt like you're in that place? The wine has run out. Love has grown cold. I feel distant. Uh, my career is tanking. My marriage is on life support. I feel lonely all the time, 
even in crowded places. My child attempted to take their own life last night. I have everything that I've ever set out to achieve, and I still feel empty inside. Cake's tapped. Wine has run out. Jesus, help. Jesus, help. And what does Jesus say? What does your need have to do with me? What do you do with that? John, the Gospel of John in particular, it's theologically packed. It's, it's begging us to ask these questions. It's inviting us to join the story, to imagine what, what must have it felt like to be at the party. What would Jesus' mom have said? How would she have felt with that response, that answer? And that's real. That is human. That is in touch with life. Jesus, help. What's that? Come again? <laughs> Not quite the response I was looking for. Don't quite understand what you mean by that. What am I supposed to do with that response? And we've all been there. You feel empty inside. The thing that you thought was supposed to be the greatest moment in your life has now fallen short. You cry out to God for help. And it's almost as if, Jesus, are you there? Are you listening? Do you care? Do you care? These are like real human emotions. This was the story. This was what's happening. Have we not all been there? But her response, oh my goodness, you gotta give it up for Mama Mary. Heck, you gotta give it up for the mamas, period. Mamas know what to do in the moment of crisis. You know, when I became a Christian, I called my mama. You'll You'll remember this. Not you, Greg, that I'm pointing at the camera. <laughs> I called my mama. And I said, I call, I call her mama. I said, mama, I was at a meeting. I don't know how I, I, don't know how I ended up at this thing. But it was a Christian meeting on my campus. And there was a guy who was giving a talk. And he invited me to put my faith in Jesus. And I did. I told her the whole story, the whole awkward thing. There was like an altar call at the end. And the guy said, if you want to get right with God tonight, stand on your feet. And I did. And no one else stood up, and it was like super embarrassing, and it was like just, just the thing. It was just right for me for that moment. And I told my mom the whole story, and she said, honey, you have no idea how long I have been praying for you. Mamas, don't ever, ever stop praying for your kids. Papas, you too. Don't stop praying for your children. Where no one else would have the wherewithal to go to Jesus for help, 
Don't you be the one to stop. Jesus, help. It's a dire situation. The party's dead. People are leaving. Guests are filing out. The thing looks like it's all winding down. It didn't turn out the way I had hoped. Jesus, help. And no matter what you feel in that moment, whether it feels like Jesus gives you the resounding yes in your heart, or you can't feel quite anything in that moment. You know that feeling where it's like, God, what? I can't hear you. I don't feel you. Are you you present? Are you listening? The answer is yes and amen in Jesus a billion times over. He's listening. He cares. And Mary turns to the servants at the wedding party and she says, do whatever he tells you. Not only does mama have faith, but she understands something about faith in conjunction with obedience. It's not enough just to say, hey, Jesus, can you help? Just maybe do something, I don't know. And then just walk off without any sort of a willingness to actually trust and obey. Mary says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, have you ever been there? Have you ever cried out in a moment of desperation, Lord Jesus, the party's dying. My life's not working out. Help. And Jesus says, okay, here's what I want you to do. See those, um, yeah, those giant stone jugs in the kitchen? Yeah, the ones that the Jews use for ceremonial uh, purification rites? I want you to fill those up with water, and then they're probably already full. I want you to take those containers full of water, put the wine ladle in it, and then go serve it to the, uh, the master of the party. That's ridiculous. <laughs> what is that? Who, who, who comes up with this stuff? I mean, is, is, he, is, it, is it a joke? It's not rational. It doesn't make sense. We actually sang the words this morning, Lord, help us to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. You know, this is, this is kind of um, one of the fundamental features of the Christian life. It's to obey Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. When was the last time God asked you to do something and you thought, well, that's, that's not logical. So why would I do that? That's not, that doesn't align with conventional wisdom. I crunched the numbers. That doesn't make any sense. So obviously that's not God. I'm not going to do that. Can I, here's something. Here's one. This is gonna, oh, this is gonna annoy some of you. Money. Because I actually, it's, most of you know this, um, but I have a, a degree in math. Way, way back in the day. That's what I went to school for. That's what I got my undergrad in, applied mathematics. And so I'm really good at math. I, I'm constantly crunching numbers. Like it's like a, it's like a pathology. Like crunching numbers all day long. And it's, it's not good in a lot of ways. So I remember when I became a Christian, I, immediately, I started reading my Bible. I knew that that was, that was a thing. I should do that. 
And then almost immediately, you start coming across Jesus talking about money. He talks about it a lot, like it's almost offensive. He's talking about money. And of course, it was only a matter of time before I heard someone talking about tithing. I'm like, what's tithing? What's that all about? Like giving my money to the church, right? And then someone explained to me, yeah, technically it means 10%. And there's a bunch of, you know, there's a few uh, stories in the Old Testament. And of course, eventually I realized there's like all this debate around, oh, is tithing, you know, is that just something for the old and new, da, 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 all this, all this drama, right? But the bottom line was, almost immediately in my journey as a Christian, God began to prompt me to be a giver. And this is how dumb I am. I thought, well, I'll just give 10% of my income. Because it just seems biblical. And to be perfectly honest with you, like 20 years in, it still seems totally biblical. And crazy. You were talking about like rational, this makes no sense. Like why would I do this? And then apparently God will, will outgive me. He'll bless me in my giving and my sacrificial giving. He'll honor me as I worship him with my money. This is nuts. This is totally nuts. But I've been doing it now for like 20 years. My wife and I, we've been married for 14 years now. I married a woman who had the same conviction. It was one of the things we had never thought about. <laughs> it's a miracle. Why are we laughing? Because we, thought, we have thought about everything else. You name it, we have argued about it. Except for giving our money. We're like, do you tithe? I tithe. Okay, we're good. Let's tithe. We'll get 10% of our income to the church. We've been doing it for 14 years. Guys, God is faithful. And this is not my, hey, guys, we're in a really bad way financially. I've got to somehow to convince you to give your money. This is not that. It's just not. I'm putting it out there. Give. Give radically. Give generously. Heck, give 10%. Give 90%. Obey Jesus. Do whatever he tells you. Even if it defies what you deem to be conventional wisdom. Do whatever he tells you. Maybe he'll kick the party off. Maybe the party's not over. Maybe the party's only getting ready to begin. So he, I brought this up just for uh, you know, perspective in case any of you are visual like me. Six jugs, each one, what did it say, about 120 to 130 gallons? Isn't that right? This is five gallons. 20, sorry, 20 to 30. That's, okay, thank you. That didn't sound right. 20 to 30, so I actually did crunch the numbers. We're talking about if each one was 30 gallons, that's 180 divided by 6 is 36? 5? 5 to 6? Anyways, we're talking about 35 to 36 of these. Did I do the math right? Someone can, can check my numbers. I don't care. About 35 of these full of wine. The party was only getting started. That's nuts. I don't know how many people were at that party, but make of it what you will. That's a lot of wine. So what if, besides the fact that Jesus is doing a miracle, 
which actually compels his disciples to believe in him, which is the whole point of John's gospel, what if he's not actually setting a precedent for how we as his disciples as well are meant to come to him when the wine is running out of life and say, Jesus, help, I'm prepared to do whatever you say, no matter how I feel. And what if we began to live our lives that way? What if that's the story within the story? Do whatever he tells you. And Jesus turns bathwater into really good wine. It's the sign of the new covenant. Let me back up a little bit. It's the sign that the way God's people, the Jewish people, have been relating to him up until that point, it's about to shift. It's about to be, what's the word? Jesus is about to fulfill the law so that God's people, which would include us, might now learn to know him, to worship him, to fear him, to trust him, to do life with him in the new way of the spirit. And wine is a metaphor for that. That's not even like allegorizing. That's, that's a pretty obvious thing that John's trying to do using word pictures. Jesus is inaugurating the new covenant. He says a new thing is about to happen. In the other gospels, he talks about new and old wineskins. And he says, you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. I'm about to do something different. I'm about to fulfill the old so that we might experience God in the new way of the spirit. We call that the new covenant. It's a picture of that. And as we continue reading, it'll become more and more obvious. This is just the first of seven signs that Jesus will perform as we build up to chapter 12. But it's also a picture of the life that Jesus is calling us to live in general. This is what I call the third day lifestyle. Did you catch at the beginning of chapter two? We're told explicitly that this is the third day. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana. What's the third day? Why is that so important? It would have been the same day that he had met up with Nathaniel and Philip. The third day, that same day, they were in Cana of Galilee. They go to the wedding. Why the third day? Third day, that's, um, well, John is assuming that his readers have been meditating day and night on the scriptures. Third day is a theme that starts all the way back in Genesis. Let me give you a few examples. Genesis 22, 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar where he was to sacrifice his only true son, Isaac. Genesis 42, verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to his brothers, do this and you will live for I fear God. Exodus chapter 19, verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. One must wonder if that's perhaps what Jesus was thinking when he saw the jars of purification water. 
Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You might recall the the context there. The moment that Israel, God's people, are delivered out of slavery in Egypt and they go to Mount Sinai and the whole whole thing in Exodus 19, it's this picture of a divine wedding ceremony. God is to be wed to his people and they make a covenant with each other, like a marriage covenant and all of God's people say, we do, on the third day. Esther chapter 5. On the third day, Esther stood before the throne of the Persian emperor and intervened for God's people as she was granted favor before the tyrant. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. That's a messianic prophecy. On the third day, that we may live before him. Jesus is teaching us to live a third day lifestyle like the party is just about to get started. Oh, there was something else that happened on the third day. You guys know what it is? He rose on the third day. You know, this is the only time John mentions anything about the third day. He's very subtle like that. He's drawing us in to the story. Jesus is teaching us to live in anticipation to the real party, the Revelation 19 wedding party. You guys read Revelation 19? It's the end of the age. Jesus returns. He conquers evil once and for all. He rescues his people. And we get to marry. We become the eternal bride of Jesus, who is the bridegroom. And Revelation 19 is a picture of this wedding banquet. It's a party. And the wine never, ever runs out. This is how we're meant to live. In anticipation. Because on the third day, Jesus did come back to life. New wine is on tap. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. This is um, what happens at Pentecost, right? You guys remember that? After Jesus died, came back from the dead, ascended into heaven, he said, wait in Jerusalem till I send the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out when the disciples were all gathered together. And the people who were looking on mocked them, saying, you guys are filled with new wine. You're drunk with new wine. They're like, nope. Filled with the Spirit. What would it look like to live our lives as a community, as individuals, in such a way that when we find ourselves in a a situation, a relationship, a community, 
city buried in trash, country that's devolving into chaos, an unjust situation, a marriage that really does feel like, man, this thing's holding on by a thread. You fill in the blank for your life. Whatever, whatever your world looks like at the moment, what if we were the kind of people who instead is saying, man, this party is dead. Peace. And we just left and found the next party, the next thing, the next sort of uh, high, the next moment, the next thrill, the next relationship. What if, like Jesus, we said, man, this party is only getting started. Lord, would you pour out your spirit in this place? Would you pour out new wine in this relationship? What if we begin to view the world around us and live our lives in anticipation to the real party that's still yet to kick off? The third day lifestyle. What if that was our mindset? What if that was our attitude? When everyone else was criticizing, writing off, moving on, or just saying, ah, I'm bored. Let's go find something else to do. This party's dead. What if... We began to see what God was doing. What if we were the ones who, like Mary, cried out and said, Jesus, help. Jesus, help. And you said that whatever we ask for in your name, you would do according to your will. Jesus, help. I will not take no for an answer. This has everything to do with who you are. This does concern you because your hour has come. Jesus, you are alive. Will you be alive in this situation, in this city, in this church, in my job, in my family, in my marriage, in my body? Lord Jesus, would you pour out your spirit afresh? Lord Jesus, give us new wine that we might be your people belligerent in the spirit. Is anyone with me? Can we stand together, please? Okay, so I get a little excited. <clears throat> Part of me just wants to live like, to live life like this so much that I'm like, man, what if we just begin to shout it out? Yeah, there is something. I'm not, I'm not proposing that, like, hey, let's fake it. Let's, let's hype it up. Let's just, that, that, no one needs that. But there is something about stirring up faith. The New Testament actually uses that phrase, the book of Jude, stir up your faith. Go out of this place, there is a, a spirit, if you will, that wants to keep people quiet, or if you do speak up, it's a condemning sort of outrage that comes out. There's all of that. I want to challenge us. If you're a follower of Jesus, where's your passion? Where's your sense of, man, there's a, there's, God is doing something in the world around me, in our city, and dang it, I want in. I want in. I'm, gonna be, I'm going to begin to pray as if this party is only getting started. Can I invite the worship team up, please? What if we worshiped like that? What if we prayed like that? What if we loved our enemies like that? 
What if we forgave like that? Like what would it look like to begin living that, that way, that sort of radical attitude? I'm not saying you have to get loud like me and get all, you know, put your preacher voice on. Just saying that, hmm, that determination on the inside, that excitement on the inside that says everyone else can leave the party, but I'm staying right here because I believe that Jesus is alive and he wants to pour the Holy Spirit out in this place, in my heart, through me, our community, in our city. Like, can we dream that together? Can we begin to pray like that together? Can we show up in broken places with that sort of mindset together? I want to invite anyone in here um, to, uh, as we worship, I want to have a little moment, a little family moment together for anyone who wants to receive prayer and say, look, I I don't know what that means, um, but I, I want to be filled afresh with the Spirit of God this morning. This is not magic. This is not a mystical thing. This is just Christian. This is just Jesus, help. I'm here. I want to be filled afresh today. Because when I go out there, I need you. I need you to lead the way. So I want to invite you. If you want to be filled with the Spirit today, have someone pray for you. Or just stand with you as we worship. I want to invite you down to our little um, our altar, our rug this morning. Um, if someone wants to pray for you, they can come up behind you, lay a hand on your shoulder. Um, we want to make sure that we're doing our best to respect people's space. We're going to pray for each other this morning. If there's something specific you'd like to actually share with someone, we have these little square tables on the side. Feel free to just have a little meeting on the side. You can open up a little bit, have someone pray for you uh, specifically. But let's have a moment here this morning. We're not going to take a long time, so let's... Um, Let's get after it.